You are listening to the Galena Missions Podcast, the preaching ministry of Galena Bible Church. Follow along as we study God's Word together. Go ahead and grab your Bible and join me in Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11, we're going to be in verse 16. You know, you make it around the sun enough times and you start to have memories of things and you start to compare things. And remember things, uh, I, I was sitting there thinking last night about our first New Year's here in Galena. Um, it would have been uh, almost a full year after we moved here. We moved here in, in the end of January, so the first New Year's was the following year, and it was cold, man. It was uh, That winter was the coldest uh, temperature that we had seen. It wasn't the coldest length of time that we had seen, but I remember that that Christmas, uh, or that New Year's, it was uh, about negative 55 or negative 58, something like that. And we had some fireworks, and we were going to go out and pop them behind my brother's house there over on Crow Creek. Um, and it was then that I realized that butane, the stuff that's in the little lighters, doesn't turn to gas uh, when it's that temperature. And uh, so we were like, well, we had the brilliant idea. Well, let's go in and we'll get a candle and we'll light that and then we'll take that out and we'll light the fireworks with that. And it was then that I found out that paraffin wax doesn't burn at negative 50. And so we just went inside and stared at each other because uh, it wasn't, it just wasn't working. Um, and uh, and then the, our family last night, we tried to... Um, uh, we tried to make it for the KIYU uh, fireworks display, um, of which they, they did not uh, follow village protocol, and they started five minutes early, and it was only a ten-minute show, and so when we showed up, everybody was driving away, and uh, we were sitting there thinking back to uh, our friend Brian Landrum, who was the... Um, uh, radio station manager, uh, he had me help set up fireworks for about three or four years, and uh, we'd do about 40-minute shows, two music, you'd turn on, your, turn on the radio, and we'd have things, and he'd have stuff, and he'd signal when we were supposed to have a big thing blow up, and that kind of stuff, and uh, anyways, it was just kind of one of those like, oh man, so we turned around and came back home, and then uh, the boys went out and uh, experimented with um, homemade explosive devices of which you'd get arrested anywhere else, but we live in the bush and you get to do that. Um, but it made me think about, as they were do- off doing their thing, our old neighbor, uh, John Riddle, used to be the principal here, um, they would have uh, Roman candle wars at, uh, at, uh, at midnight where they'd pop off Roman candles and shoot them at each other. A uh, totally safe thing for a school administrator to do. Um, but again, it was one of those remembering their, they, you know, they've moved and that wasn't an event that was happening. It was just our sons trying to blow stuff up. Uh, and it just was one of those moments, right, of thinking back on what was and realizing what is and looking to the future. And that's kind of what New Year's tends to be for folks, right? It's one of those things that we evaluate how things went and we uh, began to anticipate things that may come. And there's obviously lots of uncertainty and things like that. None of us went into 20. 20 with any idea about what was going to transpire uh, in that year. Uh, and then 2021 and 2022, I read an article here this week uh, that they did a survey, and um, it was a pretty sad survey. The survey said that uh, only one in three uh, Americans said that 2022 was a good year. 
Uh, and I found that to be a, a sad thing because that was my experience. Was it was I thought it was a great year. I enjoyed it, and uh, obviously lots of challenges and hardships. But it was it was a good year. And so obviously, as we look at 2023, uh, we've got the expectation of new life, and we've got new married couples in our church, and there's uh, new people and new life and new things that are happening, and there's great anticipation as we think about what can be and what might be as those things transpire. And as we think about that in spiritual terms, this morning I want us to ask the question, what do you expect from Jesus in 2023? What is your expectation about the person and work of Jesus in your life as a real thing, as it transpires and as your relationship with Him takes the form that it's going to take this year, what is your expectation of Jesus this coming year? Matthew chapter 11, starting in verse 16, I think is a passage of Scripture I don't think I have ever preached before. Um, And I don't know that I've ever even heard a a sermon preached on this particular passage of Scripture, but as I was thinking about the anticipation or the expectation of Jesus and what my expectation of His and what your expectation of Jesus is and uh, and what our uh, partnership in the, the moving of the Holy Spirit and what our life looks like. This passage of Scripture just kept coming to mind, and so we're going to look at it, we're going to pull on some strings of it, and we're going to see what the Holy Spirit has to teach us this morning. Matthew chapter 11, starting in verse 16, we'll go to verse 19. Jesus is uh, responding to the question of the disciples of John the Baptist. John is in prison and uh, the disciples come back to Jesus and they say, are, are you the one that we're supposed to be waiting for or, or should we wait for somebody else? And he has this strong accolade about uh, who John was. It's kind of his tribute to who John the Baptist is. But then when he thinks about the people that have experienced his ministry and the people that listen to John and the people that are in his audience, this is what he has to say in verse 16. But to what shall I compare this generation? It is like children sitting in the marketplaces who call out to other children and say, We played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they said, He has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, Behold, a gluttonous man and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is vindicated by their deeds. This is the word of the Lord. It's an interesting parable when you take a a look at it. It's like many of Jesus' parables. This is probably... Jesus looking at an actual thing that transpired near him, right? Like it's when Jesus teaches parables, oftentimes um, it, it it's not like he's talking about something far off. You know, he may be talking about the sower in the field, and he may literally be able to just wave his hand and go, "See that field over there? The kingdom of God's like a command sowing feet, you know, sowing seeds out in a field, right? It's it's just absolutely everyday, common experience things that he can point to, and what Jesus points to in this one uh, sounds a lot like the game Red Light, Green Light. Do you guys know that know that game that kids play? 
No, no, that one, that's where, you know, you'll stand, you have kids stand there, and, and it's like the race to get across the room, and the person on the front says, red light, and as soon as they say, I mean, green light, and as soon as they say green light, the kids are supposed to run, and then if they say red light, the kids are supposed to stop, right? Then it's this game that you can play, and who gets to get across first? It sounds a lot like that game. The game that the, the kids would, were playing was a, a game of wedding and funeral. Seems a little bit more morbid for kids, but hey, you know, they're, it's what they're doing, right? And they would say, we, we'd pretend like we were playing a happy song, a tune, and you were supposed to dance like you were at a wedding. But then we'd sing a dirge, we'd, we'd change the tune, and as soon as that happened, then you were supposed to beat your breast like you were mourning, like you were at a funeral. And he says, the king, this, what shall I compare this generation? Who is this generation? Well, it's the ones that have been hearing the words of John and they've been hearing the words of Jesus and they haven't been listening to either of them. Then he compares them to like these kids playing this game in this open courtyard. And it's like kids that are trying to get other kids to play with them and the other kids, they don't want to play. They, they don't want to participate. And it's, it's not like, well, I don't want to play the funeral thing. I'll play the happy side, but I don't want to do the... They, it's, it's they don't want to do either of them. They says, we'll, we'll sing the song for you. We'll play our flute for you. And you don't dance. You don't participate in the happy part. Or we'll sing this sad song, a dirge, a, a lament to you. And you don't want to lament. You don't want to beat your breast. You don't want to play. And then he goes on to describe the two of them. John the Baptist, the last Old Testament prophet. If you're ever playing Bible trivia and anybody ever asks you, who was the last Old Testament prophet? It's a trick question. It's John the Baptist. He's in the New Testament, but he's before the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And John came into the wilderness and he was described as a prophet. His dress was like a prophet. His message was like a prophet. But he was, he was not refined. Remember, it describes John as being one who wore a tunic made of camel's hair, rough, not soft, not, uh, uh, you know, not refined, not good-looking in that kind of way. He ate locusts and wild honey. He literally lived out in the wilderness and lived that kind of life. His life looked a lot like uh, an ascetic, uh, one who would live their life uh, almost enduring hardship as a, as a means of being closer to God. And that's what John looked like. And John preached a message of repentance. He preached to the nation of Israel and he said, you are not following God. Repent and be baptized. And he preached boldly against regardless of who people were. In fact, that's why he was in prison. He was preaching against the king and his wickedness and the sinful acts that he was doing. And Herod didn't want anything to do with that and he had him arrested. And he says... Uh, of John. For John came neither eating nor drinking, not living the kind of life of pleasure and satisfaction that many would describe there. And how did they describe him? They said he has a demon. That, That there must be something demonic about him because he's not living the kind of pleasure life that we're all longing for. He's not choosing to live the kind of life that we think is absolutely best. But as a parallel to that, or almost seems like a mirror opposite of that, he says the Son of Man, this picture of the Messiah, and Jesus is using that of Himself. It's one of His favorite phrases of Himself. 
he says, the Son of Man came eating and drinking. And what do the accusations of those looking at Jesus? He said they describe Him as a gluttonous man, as a drunkard, and a friend of tax collectors and of sinners. In a lot of ways, these cousins could not be more opposite from each other. The, the wilderness prophet, not living in comfort, not the life of the party. He's always serious. He's, he's preaching hard repentance. And then you have Jesus, the life of the party, the one that gets invited to weddings, the one who is the friend to the friendless, the one that is caring and compassionate and gentle and gracious and merciful and all of these kind of things. And so much so that he's in close enough proximity with these people that there's an accusation made against him that's not true. He's not a glutton. He's not a, a drunkard. But he certainly is a friend of tax collectors and sinners. And by proxy of that, there's accusations made against him because he is so dear to them. They really couldn't be more opposite. And, and it's as if Jesus is taking the two of them and saying, we give you one, we give you the other, and you don't like either. Everybody likes the happy song, but you won't dance to that. I come giving you grace. I come giving mercy. I come showing love. I show compassion. I show forgiveness. And you don't like that tune. John comes preaching repentance, preaching against sin, preaching uh, you know, this, this picture of holiness and what that looks like as though to show us our brokenness before God and we don't, we don't like that either. And Jesus looks at this generation and He says, you're like the children that don't want to play the game. And you're missing out on the game that is laid out there. It's an interesting story and it's an interesting picture and I, I think it's fascinating that Jesus describes this generation of people that are listening to that in terms of this, that children that just won't play. And I think for us, in the simplest terms that I can describe it, is that when we think of our own experience of Jesus, all of us have an expectation of Him. We, we don't, you don't go into any relationship without some level of expectation, right? We had the privilege of uh, getting to officiate Luke and Rachel's wedding this past week, and uh, uh, you know, my family got to be there, Molly was there, and there was a number of other folks from our church that were there. And we, as we were sitting there celebrating the reality of this, and they were making pledges to each other, making promises to each other, we made sure within the vows and things like that to bring up the reality of the real expectations that come about as a point of marriage, right? Sometimes marriage can be painted in a picture that is um, storybookish, right? Just uh, they were married and they lived happily ever after. Like they were married, they lived happily ever after. That's a wide spectrum of life. And there's a lot of things that happen in that time period. There's a lot of challenges that happen in that time period. But the reality of it is nobody steps into that without an expectation of relationship. And it is the same with us with Jesus. That when we come to Jesus, we do have an expectation of Him. The question is, is it a realistic expectation... Is it one that he really ought, that we really ought to have of him? 
That generation, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the common folk that were there, the religious leaders, the Romans, uh, the, the Greeks, all of them had expectations about who Jesus was. Some of them had an expectation of Him, well, He's just another common street preacher. Some of them had an expectation of Him of, who does he think he is? We know where he's from. He's just a carpenter. That's, he, shouldn't, he shouldn't even have a platform. Nobody should be listening to him. Some people had an expectation that he was going to be the, the Messiah that would come with the sword and the spear and with power and an army that would come and conquer. And they had that expectation on him. But when they heard John and they heard Jesus, they began to mistake thinking that what they were preaching was opposite. John was preaching repentance. Jesus was preaching grace. And those two things were the two sides of the same coin. They were the mission of God, the statement of God, the declaration of God of a real brokenness, a real hurting, a real damage that exists within our lives. And Jesus came preaching the message of transformation from that. A giving away of what we thought life should be like and a turning to Him and trust and expectation. And He says, when we gave you those things, you didn't like either of them. And so He ultimately concludes with this. He says, yet wisdom is vindicated by their deeds. The deeds of John and what He said and Jesus, the Son of Man. When you think of this coming year, and you think of your own spiritual life, you have some expectations, maybe even of yourself, depending on what kind of religious background that you grew up in. Maybe you have the expectation that uh, this year I'm going to read through the Bible. And I'm going to do it this year. I'm not just going to start in Genesis and then quit in Numbers. Because that's what everybody does when you try to do a reading plan. You get stuck in numbers and you're just like, I don't want to read any more begats for nothing. right? Which is why I, I don't necessarily really like those straight read through the Bible reading plans because it does get to be... I, like, I really like the ones that are break it apart and have you read a little bit of Old Testament, a little bit of Psalms or wisdom literature, uh, and then some Gospel and some New Testament, and then take you through that and just get all of the, the goodness uh, that, is, uh, that is found in there. But some of you have this kind of legalistic thing of like, I have to do this. I have to. If I don't, then, I, then I'm not showing Jesus I love Him and, and he, he doesn't love me if I'm not accomplishing these things. Some of you may have expectations of how often you're going to go to church or how often you're going to go to Bible study or how often you're going to pray or how many Christian books you're going to read or whatever those kind of things are as it means for us to pursue Christ. Some of you have an expectation of Jesus that He's going to be disappointed with you this year. You're just starting out the year with that as an expectation. Some of you are, uh, may begin this year with the expectation that Jesus has a special calling for you to be angry with other people because of how they don't follow Jesus correctly. Dear friends, the message of Jesus is this. What shall I compare this generation? It's like children sitting in a marketplace that are calling out to other children. 
We played the flute for you. Love, hope, mercy, forgiveness, gentleness, compassion, joy, celebration. And they didn't want that. Why? I don't know. Legalism is a funny thing. We, we have this innate sense in us that feels like I have to earn forgiveness. And other people have to earn forgiveness. We need to, we need to work harder. We all feel that temptation, you know, when you have a friend or a family member and they just do really stupid stuff. And they come to you again and again and again wanting you to bail them out. And there's just this strong temptation in our heart to just say, look, you made the bed, you sleep in it. Because we feel like that's what's right. But that's neither of these things. Likewise, sometimes we look at the situation where we're like, hey, whatever makes you happy. Just live however you want to live. Choose your, you know, just follow your heart. One of the absolute worst things this generation has ever told humanity. Our heart's wicked. It leads us astray all the time. I'm the best at lying at me. That's why it's both of these that are true. When it comes to looking forward to Jesus, we do need to realize that we do have sin. Regardless of how long we've walked with Jesus, there's things about us that aren't right. There's things about us that aren't healthy. There's things about us that just aren't true that we believe to be true. And for those things, as we hear the Gospel message, there should be this call of Him saying, Repent! And a causing for us to beat our breast and say, God, forgive me. Forgive me that I don't love the things the way that I need to. Forgive me that I, I do love things that I shouldn't. But not to stay in that position. Because there's also songs of a flute of great joy. Joy that says there is forgiveness, there is hope, there is mercy, there is incredible patience. If the Jesus that you expect to experience this next year, you don't expect Him to ever challenge you. I don't, I don't think you're looking at the Jesus of Scripture. You're looking more at a Jesus that looks a lot like you. If Jesus always agrees with you, it's probably not the Jesus of Scripture. And I'm saying this is one that's true of me. Likewise, if you, if you think you're going to experience a Jesus, it's always looking down on you. Always berating you. Always making you feel less. There's a reason He was called a friend of sinners. These weren't people that were all put together. There's a reason why when Jesus encountered people that everybody else wanted to stone, He literally loved them, picked them up, and then simultaneously said, go and sin no more. It wasn't about them being fixed that made Him love them. It was about Him acknowledging their brokenness and doing something about it Himself. Anybody in here actually do a New Year's resolution? Anybody got got New Year's resolutions? 
Is that just a thing of the past now, everybody? Everybody, a little bit, maybe? I think there's like this tendency of us saying like, yeah, I don't, I'm not going to make a New Year's resolution because I don't want to break, you know, I don't want to just, I know I'm going to break it and so I'm not, you know, I'm not going to. Let me encourage you to do something. Make some, make some goals. And, and not goals that you're going to beat yourself up over if you don't accomplish them, but saying, listen, you only ever hit what you aim at, Right? And so in the same way that we're looking at our life and saying like, you know, man, I've, I got a little bit of weight on me that I, I still want to get rid of, so I want to make a goal to be a little bit more active, right? Or I want to eat a little bit better. I want to make a goal to, you know, I, I want to visit family, and so I'm, I'm going to make a goal to, I'm going to start saving a little bit more. I'm going to put a percentage out, and I'm going to start saving a little bit to, to make this goal. Or I, you know, I really want to. I want to pursue a hobby in this particular one. So I'm going to make a goal that I'm going to start. You know, I'm going to dedicate an hour a week to working on learning this one thing. And we we do those things and we pursue that. Let me encourage you, in light of looking forward to your relationship with Jesus, to go ahead and make some goals when it comes to pursuing Him. And I want you to do that in this this term of going like, I don't know the song and I don't know how to dance, but Jesus, if I can hear it, help me to help me to dance to the joy of your salvation. Open up his word and and make a commitment to say, I, I want to find some time to start being more in your word, Jesus. I want to find some time where I can be intentional with it. Let me, let me encourage you, don't ever just casually open the Bible and start reading it. And You're going to get frustrated and you're going to get confused and those kind of things. Invite the Holy Spirit to give you eyes to see and ears to hear. When you go to spend time reading in Scripture, just pray a simple prayer. Lord, help me to understand and help me to hear what You have to say to me. And then open up God's Word and see what He has to say. Maybe make an intentional plan. Find a, there's um, uh, the the Bible app. Uh, there's gobs of them, but there's some really good ones that do have some really simple reading plans on there. If you're like me, I hate reading on screens. I just it just drives me absolutely nuts. But I really like this thing for two reasons. One, I can just it tells me what you know. It keeps track of it. And I can push the button and then it marks it that I've read it, and I can sit there and read it. Or if you're busy. Uh, or doing something else, washing dishes or doing clothes or whatever, whatever you've got going on, you can hit audio and it'll play it for you. And if you know a different language, it'll do it in another language. They actually just, uh, just this last year put uh, the audio Bible in Yupik, complete Old Testament and New Testament on there. And you can listen to it in that. Let me encourage you to find another person another human being to confess your sin to. You're like, whoa, where did that? That escalated kind of quickly. Well, one, the Bible tells us to do that. It tells us to confess our heart to somebody else, to trust them in that. And one, as a, as a means of accountability, not that they're going to always be like, how are you doing? What's that kind of thing? But literally just as a point of saying, I want somebody else to know this. Sin has power over us when we hide it. When we keep it to ourselves. And then Satan gets an ear into us and says, you know, you're the only person that struggles with this. Everybody else is perfect. I'm here to tell you, the Gospel needs to continue to be preached to us as Christians because we're not. 
There's times where we need to hear the lament and beat our breast. And it's helpful to have somebody else to do that with. Let me encourage you to make a commitment to be a part of the bigger body of Christ. I know for some, our community has strange time schedules and obviously it's the weekend and if you worked all week and you're giving up your... You know, make a plan. Wake up. Come to church. Be with the fellowship. Get to know other believers. Spend time in community with each other. I would also encourage you as you're reading through Scripture, you're reading Christian books, you're listening to sermons, if there's a passage of Scripture that just jumps out at you, make a commitment to say, God, help me memorize this. Help me learn it. Help it to be something that literally can show up in my dreams as I sleep. Because it's now a core memory. It's now something that's hardwired into me. As we think about these basic spiritual disciplines... It helps us to step into the reality of what we expect of Jesus. See, we can expect Jesus to be something that we just keep on a shelf. And we don't really have, you know, He's a part of our life the same way that any other knick-knack that we collect throughout life is a part of our life. We look at occasion and we're like, oh, I remember that. You remember that? That was great. Jesus can be that for us. That's not a lot. Also, don't let Jesus become that sneaking suspicion that He's always angry. That's definitely not Jesus. Let Jesus be as He describes here. The picture of the message of Jesus being those children singing a song of joy and a song of lament. Two truths of our walk with Jesus, that I'm not yet what I was meant to be, and Jesus loves me just as I am. The truth of mercy, grace, and repentance, that's His goodness. So, as we begin this new year, I do want to ask you to just ask yourself the question, really, what what do I expect of Jesus this year? I can make a a prophetic statement for you. If you don't expect much of Him, you're probably not going to experience much of Him. But if you expect that Jesus loves you, that He cares for you, and He wants to know you more deeply, then 2023 is going to be a good year for you getting to know Him better. It doesn't mean that it's going to be easy. It doesn't mean that it's not going to have its challenges in life. But it means that He's going to be close. He's going to walk with you through your failures. He's going to celebrate with you in your joys. He's going to teach you what it means to be His disciple. And He proved all of that by His death, burial, and resurrection on the cross. That regardless of our performance, that's what He did for us. When he says, yet wisdom is vindicated by their deeds. His deed was to die for you so that you could have fellowship with Him and the Father forever. And so this year, don't beat yourself up because you're not perfect. But don't do nothing about it. 
Don't just assume that the goals that we set, I I make a promise I'm going to read a book a month, and yet I don't even buy a book or rent a book or nothing. I don't try nothing to do it. I'm going to lose 175 pounds and we do nothing as though it's going to take... We expect things to happen, but Jesus says, alright, what are we going to do about it? These simple Christian disciplines of reading His Word, spending time in prayer, confessing our sins in, in intimate relationship with other believers, spending time with other Christians in group settings to worship God together, and to hear His voice and together serve out. This is what it means for us as a church to come, share, grow, and go into this world. To be the people that God calls us to be. To do the things that He calls us to do. This is our expectation of Jesus that He will accomplish all that He intends to happen in our lives. Because He's sovereign. And just because He's sovereign doesn't mean that we don't have a responsibility to participate in what it is that He's called us to do. So I pray that as you look at 2023, you'll expect great things of Jesus in you. And that through you, Jesus will do great things for others. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for Your Word. We're thankful for this simple parable that leads us into the beginning of this year. I pray, God, that we would have expectations and that those expectations would be real of what You reveal uh, Yourself to be to us. Um, God, we do pray with expectation of this year. Um, We're praying that it would be a blessing uh, in our memory and that through this year You would use us to be a blessing to the world around us, to our neighbor and family uh, members or co-workers. We pray, God, that when New Year's comes next year, we wouldn't be the same people that we are today, but that we would be people that loves You more, is more tender towards this world, is more serious towards sin, and is more joy-filled as we walk with Jesus. We love You. It's Your name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us. We hope you've been blessed by the hearing of God's Word. Feel free to connect with us at www.galenabiblechurchak.com and subscribe to this podcast at iTunes or at galenamissions.podbean.com.